0: And welcome to another edition of Ready, Set, Retire, an audio guide packed with information, insight, and experiences for people who are planning for, about to, or already have retired. I'm John McComb, recently retired after a 50-year broadcast career, the past 36 years at CKNW Radio in Vancouver. I'm sitting down with my co-host, Lori Pinkowski, every other Friday to help answer the many questions that come up as you prepare to relax and devote some time to you and your new life. Lori is the founder of Pinkowski Wealth Management and is a senior vice president and senior portfolio manager at Canaccord Genuity. Lori, it's always great to talk to you. How are you?
1: I'm doing well, John. How are you?
0: I am excellent, thank you. And it's uh, great to talk to you because we have the 16th edition of Ready, Set, Retire in front of us, and we have an awful lot to talk about. We're going to touch on the uh, inauguration of Joe Biden this week and his entrance to the White House. And it's also a a milestone week for you because you'll be marking your 20th anniversary of uh, managing retirement portfolios. And we're going to talk about some of the many, many things that you have learned over the last 20 years. So uh, lots and lots to talk about.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so this week, in terms of the inauguration, it went peacefully. So that was good for markets. Markets ended up that day. And, and, you know, that was to be expected, I guess, somewhat. Biden didn't talk too much About his economic outlook, he was talking a lot more about unity and unifying the nation. And I think that a lot of investors looking forward to a brighter future for America and for COVID to be behind us. And again, you know, as we all know, he's working towards that goal of 100 million vaccinations in his first 100 days. So let's hope that happens. Uh, The sooner everyone gets vaccinated, the better for everyone. And safer and definitely better for the stock market as well.
0: Well, it was interesting. I was watching the new White House press secretary, Jen Psaki, her first press briefing. And she mentioned that the first foreign leader that Biden will call on Friday is Justin Trudeau. And that is a longstanding tradition, at least it was up up until Trump, that uh, the Canadian prime minister always uh, receives the first call from the new American president. And so Joe Biden going back to that tradition. So he'll talk with Justin Trudeau first out of the gate on Friday. And I think that it's interesting because it signals that, again, things are changing in the States, Uh, Biden more of a traditionalist, uh, shall we say, than certainly than Donald Trump was.
1: We're looking for improved relations between Canada and the U.S. I think that's important. But again, we also heard this week revoking the permit for the pipeline. And you've got that whole thing starting again, which I don't know is good for Canada. I mean, it's great for environmentalists, but for uh, for business and for jobs and, and all those sorts of things, I thought we all kind of got over that hump, but it appears that we're, we're back in it again. So I think that was a, some possibly negative news for Canada on that front. But overall, again, looking for improved relationships, not just with Canada, but probably around the world as well. So I think we're looking forward to, you know, four years of more certainty, not so much tweeting. Uh, And being able to manage portfolios under better conditions realistically going forward.
0: Yes, I think the tweeting will come to a screeching halt, (laughs) at least uh, from what we're used to over the last four years. Let's move along, because as I mentioned off the top, uh, you're going to be marking your 20th anniversary in the uh, portfolio business coming up on uh, Monday. So you've been helping a lot of people over the years, and I'm sure you have a lot of things that you've learned and a lot of experiences that you've had over so many years. So uh, why don't you share some of those insights and some of that knowledge with us?
1: I was gonna look at sharing the kind of 20 lessons overall over the last 20 years, and I probably could have kept going, honestly, John. When I started, you know, putting my list together, but I also wanted to talk about why I became a portfolio manager so many years ago, and and it really started when I was 14 years old. I knew I wanted to be in business. I wasn't sure what business path I was going to take. My mom was in real estate. My dad was a business owner, owned 10 hair salons, and My brother was in finance, and so looking at the different avenues, I decided to intern at 15 years old at uh, at Catecourt, actually. And so that was my first taste of financial markets and dealing with clients and hearing people on the phone and, and what were they doing on a daily basis, and that definitely intrigued me, and so I moved forward with that went to BCIT went to financial management and became a licensed financial advisor one of the youngest in Canada definitely a canaccord anyway at 22 years old and started managing retirement money And again, in a different way than I do today, but always with the same philosophy by putting clients' needs first, making sure their portfolio is protected. I believed in active management at that point, even cutting your losses, holding your winners, all those sorts of things. So it's interesting to look back at where I am today and what happened in those 20 years to get me to where I am and the strategy that we have in managing money and and what took us here. So I'll be happy to share some of the things I've learned along the way, John.
0: Well, I know you've always dealt with retired people with retirement uh, portfolios, but did you have any trouble attracting clients at the age of 22? You were there on your own, basically. You were an independent advisor. So were people reticent at first because of your age?
1: I've talked about this quite a bit, too. I think the reason my Interest to manage more conservative portfolios was because of my OMAs. You know, I spent a lot of time with her growing up and I wanted to protect the OMAs and OPAs out there looking at how would I manage money if I was managing conservative money. And so And a lot of people thought, you know, you're too young, who's going to give you any money? <laughs> but they saw my passion for what I was doing. And yeah, no, at uh, 24 years old, uh, one of the clients uh, that I got at that time gave me 4 million of an account of his to manage. So I think a lot of the reason was is because I say what I do and do what I say. And part of good portfolio management is simply staying on top of things. I wasn't golfing in summer. I wasn't, you know, away all the time. I was definitely focused on them and their portfolios. And it was really important that I did that. And I also believed in, in active management and making changes to portfolios when needed. And a lot of people were still stuck in this buy and hold mode and had just lost a whole bunch of money during the tech bubble bursting. Also, I wasn't focused on mutual funds and that was kind of the end of the mutual fund era, I'd say. And so the whole deferred sales charge and all that kind of mutual funds, I didn't do any of that and and actually was writing a lot of articles against that. And so I think that resonated a a lot with people, a lot with uh, seniors who were stuck in these mutual funds. They couldn't get out. They needed income, all these sorts of things. And I was simply coming up with solutions for them. So yeah, so I was 22 and uh, dealing with clients directly, managing their portfolios, having some guidance from other portfolio managers out there and collaboratively went forward with it. And I've always dealt with retirees ever since. And it's been fantastic. And that's why I've become such an expert, not just in managing portfolios for retirees or people close to retirement. But also just different stages in life, what people go through, how they feel, whether they're selling their business, they lose a spouse, or they want to give their children money they're helping their aging parents, like all of these things. You can't learn overnight. It comes with experience. And that uh, I got into the business at 22 years old, provided a lot of knowledge in in that area, for sure.
0: Well, indeed. And you want to talk about the 20 things. There are probably a hundred things we could talk about, but uh, it is your 20th anniversary. So let's talk about the 20 lessons that you want to share, starting with retirement.
1: Yeah, I thought I'd break it down into two areas, retirement lessons, as well as market lessons. And so In terms of retirement, it doesn't always matter how much you've saved, but instead how much you spend. So a lot of people ask me, do I have enough for retirement? Well, the question is, again, how much do you spend? And if you are frugal, your money is going to last longer. If you don't have a lot of expensive hobbies, your money will last longer. But a lot of the time, we're having the conversations with clients saying you need to spend more not less. When you pass away, you can't take it with you. So you either spend it or you give it away. And so that's uh, definitely one of the lessons. Also, a, a retirement plan lowers blood pressure if you're worried about the next stage in life. And I literally have had clients, two of them say that their blood pressure was coming down as we were going through their financial plan because You know, people are generally worried about these things and they don't really know who to turn to. There's a lot of financial advisors who just manage money and don't answer any of these questions, which is just shocking to me. But it is the case. I think there's many out there who you can't call your financial advisor and go, you know, I want to do a hundred thousand dollar renovation. I'm retired. Can I afford it? Well, those kinds of questions matter. And I think, you know, 50% of the time, those are the questions my team is answering for our clients. It's not, should we? buy Bank of Montreal stock and sell Telus. I mean, that's what we're paid to do, right? I would say, if we don't know more than you, uh, you should fire us. So again, we're handling the portfolio stuff and we want you to be able to come to us with all the other questions that you have. So again, financial plans, they help. They're again, very detailed. They're personalized. They talk about you and your life and your family and everybody should have one.
0: Well, and I was speaking with someone earlier today. We're talking about I retired from the radio business a year ago in December, and here I am still sitting in front of a microphone and, and talking to people and using my voice. And it's I guess it's become kind of a hobby, and it's just something that I know. And you know, I could never s- just sit in the corner and read a book and be retired and not do this uh, as long as my voice holds up. Why wouldn't I? And I think a lot of people are like that. They don't want to quote-unquote, retire, and just sit around and and do nothing. In fact, I think it's bad for you.
1: Yeah, it is. I mean, you want that mental stimulation, right? And so also what I've seen is many in retirement are are busier than when they were working pre-COVID, I would say, and I'm sure after COVID, things will return to some sort of normal or to normal. This third on my list, retirees who are happiest that I've seen, still have goals and maintain hobbies. Either with your spouse or without your spouse, I would say too, which is kind of interesting. I think there's a big fear when somebody retires up, they're going to be home all the time. (laughs) The spouse that maybe has already retired or who has been a homemaker possibly isn't sure what it's going to be like when both people are in the house full time all the time. And maybe John, you went through that as well. So it's important to have your own thing going on for sure. And John, you definitely um, have taken retirement and stride and, uh, and, you know, continue doing what you love doing. And that's, uh, you know, using your voice to communicate with people and you do such a stellar job at it that we're happy that you continued. I'm so happy you continued.
0: Well, thank you. I appreciate that very much. Uh, you mentioned earlier the whole idea of spending money. You know, a lot of folks are frugal and by nature, they don't want to spend a lot of money. And so how do you kind of nudge people in the direction of, of maybe spending a little bit more if, as you say, you can't take it with you?
1: This is number four on my list. It's It is difficult for many people, at least people I deal with, 60 to 95, to spend as they're just frugal by nature, as you were saying, John, because people have a relationship with money. And it usually comes from their childhood and how they were raised. And there was someone I was speaking to that really had a fear of losing it all at some point and wanted to keep a lot of money in GICs. And this was the question I put out was, what is your relationship with money? And why are you so fearful about this situation? And she explained that, that she was growing up in an environment where it was difficult. You know, maybe her parents weren't good with money. They didn't have a lot. And I come by that quite a bit. Uh, parents didn't have a lot of money. And so people are generally worried that this could happen to them, even though they may have millions of dollars in their accounts. And so I take that seriously because I want to understand why they are the way they are so that I can better communicate uh, what we're doing and to ease their worries and their anxieties, because there's two parts about managing money. One is you want to do it right and manage the way that you should. But number two is you also want to be able to communicate what you're doing to clients so that they can sleep at night.
0: Number five on your list, not everyone wants to leave a bunch of money to their (laughs) <laughs> their children, <laughs> which is, which is rather blunt, I guess, but.
1: <laughs> well, I am a little blunt, John. I think that's, I think that's why I've been on the air so long. Yeah. Um, you know, but not every, you're blunt too, you know, um, <laughs> you're definitely right. Not everybody has a goal of leaving a lot of money to their children. I think that there's two kind of different generations. People who are in their kind of eighties and nineties want to leave as much as possible. People in their sixties and seventies are going, you know what? I'm going to spend what I spend. I want to enjoy retirement and whatever's left is left. I think that is a big conversation that I have with people. And and I fully understand it. I mean, you've worked hard your whole life to earn this nest egg. And now it's time for you to enjoy it. And a lot of people view it as, you know, maybe I'll spend what's in my accounts and the house. It's a big asset. It's a tax-free asset to their estate. And a lot of people end up leaving that to their children. So they're still leaving something, just not everything. Let's put it that way.
0: Number six is a serious When Losing a spouse at any time in life is a difficult thing. But it's important to have a strong support system. And I'm sure that you've seen this many, many times.
1: Definitely. It's always such a difficult situation. And unfortunately, it is a part of life. Whether somebody loses their spouse at 60 or somebody loses their spouse at 90, it's not any easier at any age. And I think, again, having that strong support system like family and children around you. And, you know, some people don't have children or a lot of families. So it's important to keep relationships alive with others then, you know, either siblings or nieces and nephews, a lot of people. And I also think it's important to continue on and have goals for yourself going forward. Initially, it's obviously you're grieving and it's difficult to move forward. But then I see people change, right? They get adjusted to life without their partner. And I think one of the biggest things that I see is travel becomes very difficult because you're used to traveling with someone. And for me, even, you know, my mother-in-law lost her husband or my husband lost his father. And, you know, we took her traveling with us when whenever we could, you know, no matter where we were going, you know, why you come with. And that really helped her get over those first initial years. And now before COVID anyway, was traveling on her own. And so I think, again, just setting those goals going forward, having that support system of family around you, because it isn't easy and it won't ever be the same. But again, you can have happiness in your life again. And I think that's what's really important going forward for people who do lose their spouse.
0: Number seven, you say that it is of utmost importance to have a qualified investment team because you can't afford a massive loss in any one year. And... It just seems to me that, boy, in the last, uh, I don't know, 20 years or so, we've had some real roller coasters on the market. And on those days when people are in buy and hold, boy, oh boy, it hurts a lot.
1: It does. And looking at what's happened in the last 20 years, you know, going back to the tech bubble bursting 9-11, 9-11, Enron scandal, financial crisis, the great credit crisis, the collapse of oil prices, the trade war, and then the pandemic. So I would say there's definitely a few crashes and corrections under my belt. And what's really important is to have a qualified team not just one person managing your money. I think that everybody needs to have a team that's able to look at the markets and actively make decisions because sometimes we're throwing a curveball and you have to be able to act quickly and make changes. And so when I say having a qualified team, I think that's really important because things change all the time and you have to change with it. And you have to have a financial advisor, a portfolio manager that also believes the same as you do. I can't tell you how many people, you know, hear me on NW and so on. And they go, oh, yeah, what you're talking about, active management, it makes so much sense. I'm like, yes, it does. Buy and hold is okay when things are moving higher. But when things move lower and you get caught in one of these crashes, like the tech bubble, which I'll mention later, I mean, the NASDAQ didn't get back to where it was for 14 years or so. And like, I mean, you could have still been holding your Nortel. That didn't help anybody. So again, having a qualified team to, actively manage you through all the different situations that are going to be thrown at us going over the next 20 years. So if you are not confident in your financial advisor or their team, it's time to look for someone new because things will always happen. And it's how well you manage people through those situations. And that's where you're going to feel a lot more comfortable.
0: Let's move along to number eight. Uh, Sometimes triggering tax early is better than your estate paying much more. And I know we've had this discussion several times, but go through that again.
1: So definitely triggering tax, taking money out of your RIF account or your RSP early can make more sense than having your estate pay it at the end of the day. Because your RIF is going to be taxed at the highest rate. It's all considered income on the second death of you and your spouse. So a lot of people don't, they just don't like taxes. They're like, I don't want to pay any taxes. But you're going, you know what, if you can pay 30% tax today, instead of your estate paying 53% tax, it makes sense to maybe take out more and trigger some of that tax. The other one that's important, number nine on the list is insurance insurance. People don't like the word insurance generally. They think it's just a high cost product that they don't need. And also, you know, there are definitely many cases where the cost of insurance is lower than the tax your estate may pay at the end of the day. And so that's something important to look into. Also, there's ways you can use insurance to shelter some of your gains. It's almost like a tax-free savings account. A lot of people don't know about it. And and especially for people who own businesses or who have corporate accounts who may be able to unlock some of your funds when using insurance strategy. So don't shy away just because it says insurance. There might be uses for you and your family. And uh, I should really consider looking at it and having proper recommendations if you are a person that needs that sort of thing.
0: You raise a good point because it seems to me that it can become a bit complicated, a bit complex, but at the end of the day, you can end up saving yourself and your estate a lot of money. And that's a very important point as you go through life. Number 10, retirement is now a third of one's life. That seems like a long time.
1: It is a long time and and a good time, John. You know, getting excited about living your best life for the rest of your life. Your hard work has paid off. It's time to enjoy it. And so the one thing about having retirement last one third of your life is that, again, being prepared and making sure you have a plan because your money needs to last that long as well. And so by being prepared, we'll make you feel happy and, and to move forward. And like I said, I mean, we're we're getting through COVID this year and uh, hopefully retirement can become what it once was.
0: Yes. I second that uh opinion completely, it would be nice to get back to something resembling normal. (laughs) Let's move along and talk about uh, what you've learned over the years regarding the markets. And we've been talking about the last uh, 20 years, certainly a lot of ups and downs. But talk about the active management part of this, because to me, it just makes so much more sense than a a simple buy and hold.
1: Being a true active manager, where we're making important decisions to protect clients' money when markets are tough, has aided in much lower volatility for our clients, as well as providing stable returns over the past 20 years. You know, buy, hold and hope has led many investors into feeling a sense of security that doesn't really work. And again, as I said previously, when markets are going up, it works. It's great. Everyone's happy. They're making tons of money, but there will be times when markets come down. And by being an active manager, we've been able to kind of cushion the blow when markets come down and usually all the effort that we put in raising cash when things are uncertain has allowed the portfolios to have a, maybe a decline of one-third of what the stock market does. Well, you know, that is much easier to come back from if we don't let it fall as much. And I think a lot of people like that sort of strategy. It makes sense to them, especially if you're drawing an income out of your portfolio. You need to get back up to where you were as quickly as possible. So again, by actively managing the portfolios and Trying to not allow them to come down substantially is what helps manage income portfolios, retirement portfolios, and that's what's worked over many, many years.
0: Number two on the markets topic, nothing stays the same and... Oh, boy, oh, boy. The last four years have certainly taught us that, if nothing else, Trump and pandemics. And it just seems like we've been through uh, the ringer, frankly, the last few years. But change is inevitable. The world changes. And I guess you have to go with it.
1: The pandemic is a prime example of that. All of a sudden, what was good in January 2020 wasn't what was good now in terms of the portfolios. And so we had to make quick decisions to move to safety for our clients. And again, We had the same information as you did at that time. You know, what is a lockdown? How long does this last? Who is it affecting? But what I do know, when markets start to react like that, down a thousand points, down a thousand points, you're going to start getting a pure panic play here. And putting some cash aside to cushion that blow really helped us get back to where we were a heck of a lot sooner. Also, number three on that list, make sure you don't continue to look in the rearview mirror when markets are improving. You know, the world has gotten over everything in history, actually. You know, it just matters how long did it take. So you need to recognize the signs or or what I recognize as signs of a turnaround. And you don't want to miss the boat. And what we looked at last April, when we started putting money back to work, like that first week of April, there was a bazooka of worldwide stimulus thrown at the stock market, thrown at the economy, thrown at people. And that really got us excited to get back in. But I'll tell you, John, there were a whole lot of people that were going, "Lori, good job. Yeah, you should be buying stocks right now. Things look fantastic out there. But again, this isn't uh, our first rodeo in terms of a crash. And so it was important to look at history, what happens, and then again, understanding... And that I traded and managed money out of the financial crisis and seeing when stimulus was announced, that's when things generally started to get better. And that's what I think now. And I also believe that we're going to be looking at a pretty good bull market over the next few years with this much stimulus, low interest rates and a vaccine and a lot of pent up demand for goods and services. So I think uh, we're going to have a lot easier market than we have over the past, well, as you said, four years.
0: This next one, uh, I'm not sure how to take this. uh, Having been uh, in the media for half a century, you suggest that people turn off the media Uh, You are in the media. (laughs) Uh, So which media do you think should be turned off? Certainly not uh, not uh, making sense of the markets on (laughs) on NW or Ready, Set, Retire uh, that we're doing now.
1: Yeah, of course. I say turn off the media. I'm referring to, you know, the BNNs, the Foxes, the CNBCs uh, during market crashes and so on, or even political situations. They can just drive you absolutely batty. I mean, it's not good for mental health sometimes, just the negative news that's being thrown Thrown at you constantly, and with some of the opinions as well. So for for myself, the way I look at it and making sense, because that is media, and and I am reporting, but I'm I'm actually managing money, so I'm actually dealing with it that day every day and basically telling people what I'm doing. And I think that sometimes there's reporters out there that are reporting on some of these really hot topics and frankly worrying people to a point where they're making bad decisions. And so everyone's different though. Some people can watch the news and be okay with all of that. Other people, it really gets to their mental health. And so I've just said, you know, if you can handle it, go ahead. But if you can't turn off the TV, let's put it that way.
0: One of the things that led me to seek out uh, financial advice is the next uh, topic on your list, and that is don't hold underperforming stocks just because you don't want to take the loss. I would be one of those people who would just hang on till the bitter end, not wanting to take the loss, but sometimes taking the loss is just part of what you have to do.
1: It is totally a part of what you have to do. I mean, if you've been a person that could pick 100% of your holdings and they've all gone up, then you should win an award because that doesn't happen, right? I mean, they often say if you can choose 70% of your holdings and they're the right picks, that's that's good news. You're going to end up having good performance. So, again, if the stock or sector is declining, then you may have to throw in the towel at some point. I always say there might be a stronger horse, To make your money back quicker, because that's really what you're trying to do. Maybe try to avoid the ego a little bit, right? People want to try and be right. So that's why they hold the stock, hoping that it turns around and goes back up. And that's will validate how smart they are or your financial advisor. But the way that we manage money, I believe in selling your losers, getting them out of the portfolio. Whether the sector has changed, the stock has changed, the story has changed, the market has changed. Sometimes there's a a good reasons to get a stock out of the portfolio, because basically, it's not what you do always, it's what you don't do when managing your portfolio or when managing money that can really affect your performance. So again, Don't take it personal that the stock is down. These things happen and you just got to sell it and move on in most cases.
0: Don't fall in love with any one sector. And this is something that in talking to you over the years, you have quite pointedly said we're not going to be in energy now we're not going to be in you know pipelines now we're not going to be in banks now and so you have to be agnostic i suppose when it comes to deciding what uh, sectors you are going to be in
1: yeah it's it's true i mean whether it's gold oil financials technology everything kind of goes in cycles and you have investors bringing up kind of the flavor of the day sometimes you know bitcoin what's happening there or technology or tesla is a big one lately what you really have to look at is where are we in the economic cycle? What do we see going forward? Where are interest rates going? Where are we are in terms of the recession and coming out of it? And that's really what's important. So you don't want to ever fall in love with any one area. I think in Canada, it's banks, you know, people just love banks and and banks have done well since the vaccine was announced based on the idea that we're going to return to economic growth. Well, banks could be possibly a good place to be here going forward. But again, they're not always good. Think about the financial crisis. I mean, a lot of these financial stocks were down 60 70%. So again, don't get stuck on any one area. And again, technology, which John and I were just talking about. I mean, Nortel and some of these others, I mean, they were the flavor of the day for many years and some of them never even survived. And Nortel was a very big company back then. So again, just that's why I believe in active management. You have the flexibility to do what you need to do Because the markets change, the economy changes, the world changes.
0: We have discussed quite often, again, over the last many years, the issue of volatility and how lowering volatility is important for investors. But again, this is another reason why I don't manage my own money, because the volatility would send my blood pressure right through the ceiling.
1: Again, with volatility, because of our active management, being able to reduce Volatility in portfolios allows people not to be on this super wild roller coaster sometimes. And why that's important is that many investors can make really bad decisions at the wrong time. And say they had no one really actively managing their holdings and they're retired and they see their portfolio go down 35% with the stock market because there's no active management's buy and hold. Well, you may make the decision at 35% going, I can't handle this anymore, knowing that nobody is steering the ship with your buy and hold strategy. So that's where I say lower volatility is just better in general from making bad decisions. So we spend a lot of time on that and the portfolios have had less than half of the volatility of the markets uh, for many, many years now. So that's important. Another one is bonds are good, but stocks are better. And so I get this question a lot because I'm retired. I should own a lot of bonds. No, you own a lot of bonds depending on what's happening with interest rates, not always just because of where you are in life and what stage. So stocks have outperformed bonds over the long term. Again, some of my longest term clients because they didn't want to own bonds and they may have been in their 70s and 80s and they had much higher returns than those that wanted to own fixed income. So the range could be eight, nine percent over many, many years. If you didn't have high exposure to fixed income, if you have bonds in your portfolio, you may be more at this five, six, seven percent range. So, again, it's just having those conversations with people and just recognizing stocks don't have to be scary if you have a good captain steering the ship. And then number nine, John, politics. I mean, we talk a lot about politics. Politics is a short-term problem in the stock market. People get so fanatical, especially the last four years over Trump and what he's doing. And it's important and it worries people. And I get that. But realistically, like an election, for example, and you and I've talked about this many times, it's not going to take down the stock market. It's going to cause volatility for a few weeks, maybe a few months, but you don't have to worry about things going to zero because a Democrat got in or vice versa. And so I think there's been too much weight put on politics in the last few months anyway. yes, Uh, People being really worried about this transition.
0: And, you know, the fact of the matter is that Trump was seen as good for the economy and good for investors. And so from that vantage point, it wasn't all bad. And Biden in there now, Democrat, wants to spend a trillion plus on the COVID situation. And so the first thought that comes to my mind is, well, OK, but as always, how are you going to pay it back or will it ever be paid back? And that's where the politics part of it comes in for a lot of people. Uh, last but not least, let's talk about market corrections because they happen and you say that they are normal and people shouldn't freak out about them. They should get excited about them and use them to their advantage.
1: You know, historically, markets have had two ten percent corrections a year. So you got to get used to it. You got to live with it. If it doesn't have a correction, you might get a little worried at that point because the longer the markets go without a correction, usually the bigger the decline may be. So make volatility your friend a little. And that's what I've learned in terms of managing money for people is that uh, you want to sometimes look at those corrections and take advantage of them and add positions that maybe you wouldn't have been able to have markets continued higher. So it's really just important for us, for me, to be on top of the news and what's going on around the world and making quick decisions, well thought out decisions for the portfolios to ensure the safety of all the money that I'm managing, especially for those that are retired. And again, because I focus more on the conservative side of portfolio management, it's just really important to be on top of things and uh, be active and make changes for people and just being ahead of the curve. I think that that is what has helped over the past 20 years. Again, we've been through so many different situations, you know, whether it's in markets or where I've helped in terms of personal situations over the last 20 years for those that are retiring or who are already retired. And I'm proud of the work that myself and my team have done. And I enjoy what I do every single day. And people ask me, how do you get through (laughs) times like last March? And I often say I built for this and I've wanted to do this my entire life. And I've been doing it now for 20 years. So not that I don't worry when things are bad, but I'm able to make logical decisions and be able to communicate that with clients, I think. And that's why I am where I am 20 years into it.
0: Well, I hope that uh, in another 20 years, we can have another discussion about what you have learned over the last 40 years, because I think that it's fantastic that you are marking this 20th anniversary because you have such tremendous depth and experience, knowledge, and you're just smart and you're very good at it. And that's one of the reasons I really enjoy talking with you every few weeks is just the amount of knowledge that you carry around with you is remarkable. So congratulations on 20 years and may there be many, many more. Thank you. Now, uh, before we go, we like to end with a quote. What do you have for us this week?
1: I think it goes into looking back at the last 20 years and what I do and the and why I come to work basically skipping every day, John. I I love what I do that much. I love my clients. I love managing their money day to day and uh, ensuring that they're protected. So my quote is, allow your passion to become your purpose and it will one day become your profession. And I think, and not that I think, I know that's what happened to me.
0: Absolutely, and I can second uh, that emotion as well. Uh, my passion was my purpose, is my purpose, and it was my profession, and now I guess it's kind of my hobby. And so, yeah, absolutely, I agree with that, one hundred percent. As always, a pleasure. We will talk again in uh, in a couple of weeks. Uh, in the meantime, once again, congratulations to you on twenty great years, and uh, we'll talk to you uh, down the road.
1: Thanks so much, John.
0: If you want more information or have any questions, please don't hesitate to call Lori and her team at Pincowski Wealth Management, 604-695-LORI, 604-695-5674. For Lori Pinkowski, I'm John McComb. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Ready, Set, Retire.